Morning, everyone. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you, Alice. Thank you, Gordon. Uh, last Sunday morning, as we uh, finished our World Changer series, which was based on the Sermon on the Mount, I left us with four words about words, four words about words, put them into practice. Because having spent five months listening again to the words of Jesus that are recorded in Matthew 5, 6 and 7, this was the, the very clear challenge that Jesus laid down at the end of his sermon or his collection of sermons. Don't just hear these words that I've just spoken, but actually hear them and put them into practice. And Jesus said, if you do that, you'll be like a wise man who builds his life upon a solid foundation. So that last week was four words about words. This morning on Palm Sunday, I want to give you a six-word phrase, six words to take away and reflect on during this week, during Holy Week. And it's a phrase based on something Jesus said about three years after his Sermon on the Mount. It's an adaptation of a comment that Jesus shared on that infamous journey that he made to Jerusalem on the very first Palm Sunday to fulfill his destiny. So here's the phrase, here's the six words, and then we'll set them in context and tease them out a little. Don't leave it to the stones. Now, that's why I have got an entire basket full of stones at the front this morning. Now, one of the problems I realize with that phrase is for many of you, you immediately think Mick Jagger and uh, the 1960s rock band who don't know when to give up. But you kind of need to shake that association out of your head because it's got nothing to do with the rolling variety, okay? But just don't leave it to the stones. That, that's all I want you to remember this morning. That's what I want you to take away. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Luke 19. Uh, it's page 1054 in the Red Pew Bibles. And we're going to read Dr. Luke's version of Palm Sunday events. One of the things that I love about the Gospels is how each writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give us a different perspective on certain events. They all see things through a slightly different lens, which add, adds and brings even more color and detail to highly significant moments in history, including this one. And so, for example, even though today is described as Palm Sunday, based on something that Matthew, Mark, and John said, in Luke's version, there's not a palm tree or a palm branch in sight. Okay? Nowhere. But in Luke's, but it's Luke's unique reference to stones that sort of grabbed my attention this week and, and encouraged me to use his version this morning. And as it turns out, Clay, our youth group, uh, are also using Luke 19 tonight as they lead and look after our services. So please do come back at 7 o'clock tonight and hear their take on this text. But let's begin reading at verse 28, and we'll go down to verse 34 for now. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, tell him the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. See, up to now, Jesus has been traveling by foot. 
But for the final leg of his journey, he needs an alternative and a, and a very specific mode of transport, a colt or a donkey. And the question is why? Why? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons. The first is that at one level, Jesus knew the big story. See, this moment in time had already been predicted. In an Old Testament prophecy that Alice read for us right at the start of this service, words from Zechariah, he said this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This was the way it was meant to happen. This was the way it was predicted to happen. And whenever God predicts or promises anything, he sees it through. And so in a sense, the reason that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey is because that was just the way it was meant to be. Secondly, the way or this way of entering Jerusalem confirmed Jesus as the people's king. This was Jesus confirming, as Alice again has reminded us, this was Jesus confirming he is the Messiah, he is the anointed one. For three years, Jesus could not stop announcing the kingdom, but for three years he had often downplayed his own identity, telling many people who he met and healed and spoke. He said, listen, keep my identity under wraps. But now, now it's time. Now it's time to go public. Now it's time to lift the lid and shout this message from the rooftops, Jesus is king. Now, you would have thought that Jesus might have chosen a better or a more impressive mode of transport. Like a horse, at the very least. But as it turns out, and somehow we've we've kind of got to get past our 21st century mindset regarding donkeys, which tends to see them as rather sad, or friends of Shrek, to realize that, sorry, apologies, to realize that in this place and at this time, and this is so important for us to get, but we don't get this with our mindset. But in this place, at this time, the donkey or the colt was a noble animal that kings rode on when, and here's the critical bit, when they came in peace. You see, many people who were expecting the Messiah, and had been expecting this Messiah for years, many people who had been waiting for the king anticipated a warlike figure who was going to ride into town, all guns blazing, and sort out anyone and everyone who got in his way. Jesus was not that kind of king. And his kingdom, as as we have discovered in the past five months, his kingdom was not that kind of kingdom. It was alternative. It was radical. It was upside down. It was the kind of kingdom where you loved your enemies. And where you prayed for those who persecuted you. Where you forgave those who sinned against you. So Jesus comes into Jerusalem, yes, as a king, but a different kind of king, establishing a different kind of kingdom. And people start to get it. They start to get it. And we'll discover why I say that in a moment. But I think it's really interesting how Jesus actually gets this donkey. And what it communicates to us. We read, and we just read it there, that he asked his disciples to go into the next village where they would find a colt tied up. And they were to bring this colt to Jesus. And if anyone asked them what they were doing, and again, you can only presume he was thinking about the owner. They were to say, the Lord needs it. You see, the thing is, as Jesus accomplishes the purpose of God, he partners with 
and involves others, disciples and donkey owners, who are given this amazing opportunity and privilege of partnering in what is going on and helping to prepare for what God is doing and wanting to do. And all I want to highlight at this stage is the reality that Jesus still sends disciples. He still sends followers. He still sends us out to participate in what he and his father are doing in our world and in the lives of those around us right now. Listen, if Jesus knew exactly where that donkey was, if Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen, surely he could have sourced and sorted a donkey without anybody else's help and input. But that's not the way he worked. That's not the way he works. He invites us. He invites people to partner with him, which is incredible. And I suppose the question is, without heading too far off script, is this, are we willing to go? Are we willing to be obedient? Are we willing to put, to go back to last week, are we willing to put his words into practice, just like those first disciples? Because Jesus invites us to partner with him as he accomplishes God's purposes. Back to the text. And here's why I say the people were starting to get it. Look at verses 35 and 36. It says this. It's on the screen. They brought it. That's the donkey, the colt, to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Now, this one of the unique features of Luke's version. And this is really easy to miss. One of the unique features of Luke's version is is that the disciples put Jesus on the colt. None of the rest of the gospel writers tell us that. They set him there, says Luke. They lifted him up. And although you could rush past or even dismiss that information, I think Luke is wanting to communicate something about the disciples' desire to tangibly give Jesus his rightful place. Here were the disciples exalting Jesus as king, not just saying, hey, you climb up on there, but they wanted to set him there, place him there, give him a place, exalt him and say, this is your king. But it's more than the disciples who were getting this. It says that as Jesus went along, as Jesus moved forward, the people spread their cloaks on the road. And again, if you add the detail of the other gospel writers who say they threw palm branches down, you just imagine this is quite a scene. Frederick Buchner says this was a poor man's red carpet treatment. It's brilliant. I love that. As Jesus journeys towards Jerusalem and his destiny, he's given the red carpet treatment which just signifies, again, the people are getting this. People are getting it. And this is no silent procession. There's noise. There's volume. Because look at verse 37. It says, the whole multitude of his disciples. Note, again, this is a detail unique to Luke. It's a multitude of disciples, not just 12. There's heaps of them. No idea how many exactly. But they start shouting at the top of their voices. And again, the other gospel writers tell us that the very crowds joined in. And here's what they shout. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Has anyone, that, has anyone read Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point? Anybody? Yep, a few people. In it he writes about what he calls a magic moment when an idea, a trend, or social behavior crosses a threshold, tips, and spreads like wildfire. And I was reading this week how someone has described this moment in Luke 19 as a tipping point. People, and I'd say who knows how many, 
recognized who Jesus was and raised their voices to declare, echoing Psalm 118, blessed is the king. This is the king. This is him. Hosanna, as the other gospel writers say. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna to the son of David. This is tipping point. Although I realize that in what, four to five days time, the only thing we hear the crowd shout in Jesus' direction is crucify. But for now, listen carefully to these shouts of praise. Now it's at this point, it's at this point that Luke adds an extra piece of information from the other gospel writers. This is, fa- this is what has fascinated me all week. And this is the bit that includes the stones. You see, although it sounds like there was nothing but praise for Jesus, and again, if you read Matthew, Mark, and John, all you would think is that everybody's praising Jesus. Everybody's throwing down palm branches, spreading their cloaks. They're just giving Jesus whatever, his due. But Luke tells a different story. He draws attention to the mixed voices, the mixed crowd. Not everyone's taking their cloaks off and giving Jesus the red carpet treatment. Not everyone's declaring his praise. Not everyone's singing Hosanna. Not everyone is echoing the psalmist. Not everyone is celebrating potential peace and glory in the highest. Luke tells us that there are some people in the crowd, some Pharisees, who wanted Jesus to silence the praise. Stop the singing. Tone this down. Rein it in. In fact, they wanted Jesus to rebuke the worshippers, to stop the people shouting. And before we hear Jesus' reply, I think it's interesting to acknowledge that when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to praising him, when it comes on Palm Sunday or any day to declaring who Jesus is, there will always be the reaction from someone, maybe increasingly more, who say, give it a rest. Pipe down. Keep this to yourself. Effectively, shut up. On the first Palm Sunday, as this open-air praise service was in full swing, there were those who wanted to pull the plug. There were those who wanted to silence the worshippers. But the amazing and the stunning reality is you can't silence worship. You can't stop Jesus from being praised. And part of the reason I say this is in response to how Jesus reacted in verse 40. I love this. (laughs) Because Jesus says this in response to these guys wanting to silence praise, wanting to stop the worship. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Or in another version, but Jesus answered, if they keep quiet, these stones will start shouting. Now, I know that this is not a totally brand new idea. The Bible, and particularly the Old Testament scriptures, refer to creation and created things somehow shouting out and praising God or expressing worship. Let me just give you a few examples. Let the skies rejoice and the earth be glad. Let let people everywhere say the Lord is king. Let the sea and everything in it shout. Let the fields and everything in them, including frogs, rejoice. Then the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord. Or Isaiah 55, well known, the mountains and hills will burst into song before you. All the trees in the fields will clap their hands. 
or Psalm 19, and I could have picked any number of Psalms, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies announce what his hands have made. Day after day, they tell the story. Night after night, they tell it again. You see, creation speaks. Creation sings. Creation praises. And here in Luke 19, as the Pharisees want to clamp down on the people's praise of Jesus, he makes it absolutely clear that if they stop, if they are silenced, then even the stones will cry out. And I don't know about you, but I find this an incredible thought. An incredible thought. Stones that cry out, stones that declare praise. And Jesus doesn't explain how they do it or why they do it. That's not the point. You see, some things simply must be said. Some things must be done. And if we don't say it, if we don't do it, others will. Even inanimate objects like rocks and stones. And therefore, don't leave it to the stones. Don't leave it to the stones. And especially don't leave it to the stones in this week of all weeks. Holy week. Where we are encouraged to recall the passion of Christ. His willingness to lay down his life. To take the abuse. To be led like a lamb to the slaughter. Even though he was completely innocent. Even though his prime accuser could find no fault in him. And as we make our way towards another Good Friday. A day of intense darkness, sacrifice, suffering and desolation. As Jesus hangs forsaken on a cross. Bearing sin and shame of the entire world, including yours and mine. As we reflect, as we remember, as we put ourselves alongside or amongst the crowd in Luke 19 this morning. The question is, what is our response? Are we going to worship? Are we going to shout from the rooftops? Are we going to sing Or are we going to leave it to the stones? I hope and pray we don't. But just one final thought that hit me during this week about praising stones. Sorry about the way I say stones as well, because some people pick me up on this afterwards. (laughs) If that's been a real distraction for you the whole way through, I apologize. (laughs) But whenever the Apostle Peter... Was no, Some people didn't have a problem with it, now they do. Whenever the Apostle Peter was writing to the church, he described Jesus as what? He described Jesus as the cornerstone and us as living stones that are being built together. And as Peter continued to talk about this dynamic, he explained how this happens so that we might do something. He says, you're a bunch of living stones, is what he said. Built on the cornerstone, but you're a bunch of living stones. And what, what are you to do? You are to to declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You know something, church? We are a bunch of living stones, created and rescued to praise. And so let's do it because, do you know something? See, if we don't, even the stones will. Don't leave it to the stones. We're going to finish this morning by singing... Bless the Lord.